Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. I'm your host, Jake Deaver, hosting alongside Jerwin. Podcast MVP is back. Uh, Jerwin, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's probably going better for me than it is for you because I am in the playoffs and you are not. Uh, that is that is true and fair, but you know I still got to appear on the podcast, so I guess it's not it's not completely rewardless. Although now I don't get to like stop paying attention to baseball and work on my football drafts or anything. <laughs> I still have baseball duties. Yeah, well, thanks for filling in. Um, we're going to get right into it uh, with our big takeaways. And obviously, everybody should probably be able to figure out that we are not recording this at the beginning of the week. We are halfway through. So our big takeaways are going to be about week one of the playoffs. The matchups are still ongoing. Jerwin, give me your first. Uh, so my first big takeaway is it's got to be despite uh, some early success in the week from the wild card teams putting on a show. Uh, the the top seeds just outlasted, and both of them are leading again. Um, I don't know if Eddie was actually leading for any significant period of time this week, um, but it was at least close at times, and now he's down a little over a hundred points and um, Nate didn't have as big of a week as Nick did, but he's still leading after all of the stuff that went down this week, which I'm sure we'll get into as the podcast progresses, but yeah, the, the top two seeds remain in the lead so far. And um, I, I think it just speaks to the consistency of their team to where uh, for Nate specifically, even if he's having, he had a bit of a down week for his team standards, but he still put up 251 points. And despite a really hot start from, from Brendan, his team kind of faltered down the stretch. Um, whereas Nate's team kind of lifted itself up. So it, um, the, the top teams are the top teams for a reason, and they, they showed it this week despite some adversity. Yeah, for sure. The, we looked like we might have a couple closer ones or maybe some potential upsets early on. doesn't look as close now. But my first takeaway that uh, volume has not been the uh, – volume has not been king as it has in the past. Um, if we look at our matchups as they stand right now, we're recording this Monday night before any of the games has started. Uh, only one team that has that has a volume advantage in both hitting and pitching, and that's Jordan, is actually winning their matchup. Um, I have a I have a volume advantage over Sam. Uh, Brendan has the volume advantage over Nate, which honestly that has to be the first time in forever that that's happened where a team actually had a volume advantage over Nate. I think that has to do with Cortez getting injured. Um, something in his lineup. Eddie had the advantage over um, over Nick in hitting, not in pitching. Um, but this is usually we see volume play a bigger role in these. I think that based on some of the transactions that I've seen, a lot of the teams actually geared up to to maximize their volume. And that strategy has not really seemed 
to be working to this point as we maybe have seen it in the past. So that's my first takeaway. Volume has not really been the difference maker so far. Uh, what's your second takeaway? Uh, well, my second takeaway is a bit selfish and has nothing to do with the the playoffs at all. But uh, I heard it said that some people are asking whether or not I'm a good manager. And I just wanted to set the record straight that, yes, I am a good manager. The The fact that Brent, both Brendan and Nate forgot my storybook season last year, which ended in absolute heart heartbreak being the second highest scoring team in the semifinals and then playing Nick, who was the highest scoring team. That was a rough time for me, but you know, I, I put together a championship team last year and, you know, fell short, finished third, but you know, that happens to, to the best of us as I'm sure plenty of fantasy owners out there could tell you. Um, but I was, I, I noticed this week uh, I saw some news out of uh, Shane Boz that they're anticipating him to to come back this season and pitch out of the bullpen late in the year. So that's Tyler Glasnow and Shane Boz both looking like they could come into next season as keepers with SPARP eligibility. <laughs> and uh, I was just looking at other trades. So I, I traded for Shane Boz for Mackenzie Gore. And I think, especially if Boz comes back with SPARP eligibility next season, I think that's a, a good case that I, I came out on top for that trade. And I was looking at a bunch of other ones that I made. Uh, we've, I think we've talked about the one that I made with you for Glasnow earlier in the season. That one aged incredibly well in my favor. Um, and a, a bunch of other ones. I just had a really good season for trades and it didn't amount to, you know, making the playoffs and having immediate success. But I, I think, uh, I, th I think people have overlooked how I've managed the team this year and, uh, you know, not going to make excuses. I, I didn't have a great draft. I, I think we've said plenty about the Adalberto Mondesi pick, but you know, Next year, come back stronger, have a better draft. Uh, you guys better watch out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the uh, the Brendan versus Jerwin rivalry when they're both going in with, with great keeper pools. Uh, so my second takeaway um, also has to do with real baseball. It's that the Yankees are morons for trading Montgomery. Uh, what were they thinking? Um, for Harrison Bader? Really? I believe he was hurt at the time. I get the idea they want to move Judge out of center, but like who, what contender actually trades from their rotation? Like not even just, not even the very back of their rotation, just from their rotation. Um, I don't know that that seemed like madness to me, but just to to tell you, Jordan Montgomery's been since the trade. I, I have the window up on at least in our fantasy league. So since the trade, he's the number seven overall player. Uh, he's the number four overall pitcher is 112.5 points, 22 and a half points per game. Just for reference, uh, that is one and a half points behind Jacob deGrom in that span. So Jordan Montgomery has been outstanding over that time period. I don't know why the Yankees traded him away, especially when the guy they got, Frankie Montas, 
over that same period has, has had a grand total of three and a half fantasy points. He is averaging 0.88 fantasy points per game, probably not doing himself any favors in bumping him up into any sort of higher keeper tiers uh, with this, with that kind of performance. But I uh, just wanted to give props to Jordan Montgomery. He also shade the Yankees a little bit because that has aged probably worse than uh, my trade with Jerwin. Um, so yeah, Jordan Montgomery just did kind of the, the tale of two, <laughs> the tale of two pitchers who were traded Jordan Montgomery and Frankie Montas. Um, that could not have worked out any worse for the Yankees if we're looking at it that way, but we'll move on to the wild card race update. And your update is the race is over. Brendan and Eddie won. Congratulations to them. That's all for our wild card race update. Uh, so we're going to get into our main segment now. That is the, we're just going to give our thoughts on week one of the playoffs. So I have a couple categories here. We're going to go through them. Just kind of biggest surprise, biggest disappointment. Uh, teams that we think is the most likely to come back. Uh, so I will go ahead and read off the scores at this time, just so we know at the time of the recording uh, where each team kind of stood. So we're going to start with my matchup. I am losing to Sam right now. I have 243.3 points. Sam has 292.6. Uh, moving over to the other East Division uh, matchup. Nick has 302.9 points to Eddie's 199.3. Uh, going over to the other division, Nate is leading Brendan 251 to 221.2. And finally, Jordan is leading Courtney 343.5 to 238.6. So that's where we stand at the time of this recording. Um, we're going to start it off with biggest surprise for the, the uh, I guess this would be the team edition. And when we say surprise here, I'm using this in the positive sense because we also have biggest disappointment. So, Jerwin, what was your biggest surprise for the team? Uh, I think got to go with Brendan. Uh, I, think, I think it was him who pointed it out earlier in the week, but the, the wild cards were, were putting on a bit of a show for the first half of this matchup. And it was, it was interesting to watch. And I think Brendan, uh, I, he, he's ended up a bit better than Eddie and um, yeah, Brendan's uh, it's interesting. Like all of the gambles that Brendan made uh, in terms of like, he started um, Dakota Hudson, uh, Rowanzi Contreras, um, just a, a bunch of um, a bunch of interesting decisions that he made uh, paid off. He, he kind of got bit down the end uh, with guys like Cueto uh, getting blown up and Musgrove ended up with zero points this week, but some of, some of the more risky moves kind of paid off. That was uh, any of those players could be like a surprise in and of themselves, uh, but they all, they all played for Brendan. So that's my pick for a surprise. So my pick for some biggest surprise is actually the one who is, leading the field right now by a good bit. And that's Jordan. Um, he's absolutely taking it to Courtney right now, um, leading by over a hundred points. And really this has been, so I know that I put this in the group chat. Courtney won the best offense. Um, her offense has been like 
quietly because we haven't talked about it really at all, but her, her offense has been quietly outstanding all year. And um, so in this matchup, I think one thing that sticks out is Jordan's offense has actually kept up with Courtney's uh, Courtney's lead, still leading 143.1 to Jordan's 141.5, but where Jordan is just absolutely demolishing Courtney's team is in the pitching department. And that is despite Ryan, Pre- or, um, that is despite Ryan Presley not pitching at all for him. Jordan so far has 202 points in pitching uh, to Courtney's 95. And his starting staff has been outstanding. Montgomery, who I spoke about earlier, which with 48 points. Robbie Ray, 56 points. Shane Bieber, 23. Then you go to do his relievers. Felix Batista has 37 and a half points. That's ridiculous for a reliever, especially someone who wasn't even really considered fantasy relevant until the trade deadline. Um, Jordan's been outstanding so far. Uh, the risky pitching staff looks like it is booming this week. Um, honestly, this he, he looks like he can contend with anyone if this keeps up. Um, I know that we've talked about his risky pitching staff, but uh, they're going to have their boom weeks too, and this looks like it's definitely one of them. So Jordan is my biggest surprise. I I did not think that uh, – I certainly didn't think he'd be leading the entire league by so many points and uh, just be absolutely going off like he has. So Jordan is my biggest surprise. Uh, really outstanding job by him for the, through one week. Uh, so let's go to the other side. Uh, who's your biggest disappointment this first week? Uh, I feel like I might be stealing this right – right out from under you, but you got to go with Corbin Burns with a minus 13 and a half for his start this week. Uh, He was acquired in that trade that was, you know, controversial and a a selling move uh, at the very least a a future centric move, but you still expect Corbin Burns to perform really well if you're making the playoffs and it just, did not happen and that that one that one's a killer the um i i looked at the difference uh between him and justin verlander the guy you sent over is is enough to cover the the difference in the matchup right now so it's a it's a it's a tough scene you gotta admit it is definitely a tough scene, but that is the biggest disappointment for a player. But no worries. I am an elite podcast host, and I can adapt by giving my biggest disappointment for the players. My dis- I, I figured it's, it's definitely got to be Burns for his awful performance in the first game. But I wanted to highlight someone else because this is just a crazy situation with Josh Hader, who has been dreadful since being traded. And the, you know, just the... I guess the worst part for the like he, he got so bad that they finally dropped him. And I don't know that I would have ever thought that that was possible. Um, he, I guess he's not really a disappointment in the sense he hasn't impacted the matchup at all because Nate sat him. But I think that he is a disappointment in the sense that why like, he's a disappointment because he's not starting and he's gotten to the place where you couldn't start him and we didn't feel comfortable enough to start Josh Hader in the playoffs. Uh, this is the guy that was the RP one coming into the year. Uh, I mean, I think he was universally drafted that way. And here he is on our waiver wire as the 41st ranked reliever at this point. And um, he barely averaging over four points a game. 
his ERA is almost six on it. I guess it is over six on the year. Um, just it, such a fall from grace for Josh Hader. Uh, really unprecedented, I guess. Um, I don't think that I ever would have thought a player of his caliber would be on waivers at this point in the season. I don't, I can't remember it ever happening short of somebody getting injured uh, where a, an elite talent like that coming into the year is so bad that he's dropped in August and not only in August and the very, the very end of August. Um, I think you could see some of some people maybe giving up on players earlier than that, but man, what a, what a fall for Josh Hader. Uh, so bad for him. I, I, I like Josh Hader. Um, I hope he can rebound, but man, will he be a polarizing guy uh, coming into next year? And we'll, we'll talk about that a little later, but that was my biggest disappointment for a player. So let's, I'm going to turn it back to you, Jerwin, for your biggest disappointment as, as the, the full team. Um, if you're ready to give that. Yeah, I, I can do it right this time. I was, I was lost in thought as to who I was going to pick for player because I was still in the midst of deciding when you asked. So apologies, uh, podcast MVP. Uh, nobody's perfect though. Um, yeah. Biggest disappointment. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and go w- with Courtney. Um, 238.6 is uh, she. Okay. She was never like a fully elite tier team this year. She was, she had good stretches and poor stretches, um, just like a, a lot of the other playoff teams. But um, I don't know. I just Jordan had a really good week. That's really tough to compete with. But coming out as the, what is she, third lowest score is i think below what we expected for courtney especially given like you said how good her offense has been all year which we typically we typically say like offense is where you get your floor so i i mean her floor clearly seems to be there she still eclipsed 200 but um the pitching staff really really let her down this week yeah, so I this is interesting. I actually went with the one that you picked as your biggest surprise in a good way. I picked Brendan, and maybe this was because I guess the expectations were higher coming into coming into this this week after how hot he started. But I, I just can't help but feel like I can't help but feel a little let down by where he stands right now, about almost thirty points behind Nate, especially after how he started, how hot he was. Um. I don't know. I just, he, he hasn't, he's also gotten the benefit where Nate has gotten some bit of unfortunate. Uh, he's, he's been a little unfortunate. He has Luis Robert who didn't really play. Um, he was day to day most of the week. Uh, Nestor Cortez didn't pitch at all. Um, Justin Steele clearly in his, for whatever reason, I, I, for whatever reason I was watching Cubs versus Brewers on MLB TV. Don't, I don't know why I was deciding to watch Justin Steele start, but Steele looked off the whole game. Um, I think it came out afterwards that he was having, that he had back issue. Um, that might've been impacting him, but uh, Brendan also caught a break there where he 
he was trying to pitch through an injury. Um, and then even some of Nate's two start guys, Sonny Gray and Jeffrey Springs didn't really perform well on a per start basis. It definitely is not as bad as it could be, but I guess I can't help but feel a little let down by where Brendan is coming into uh, week two, uh, especially after how hot he started. And as we kind of talked him up as the team to avoid in week one, like the team we wouldn't want to play, Nate was actually going, was actually going out of his way or he would have gone out of his way to avoid him um, had things broken that way. But I don't know. I can't help but feel a little bit disappointed that the team that we were, we were talking up uh, has the second lowest score on the week um, seating aside. So that's where, that's where I'm coming from with biggest disappointment. So let's go back to the players. Um, Who's your biggest surprise for, for the players uh, for this first week? Uh, this was another one that I was that I was kind of waffling on and having a hard time deciding. But then I was scanning through, and then I saw Nathaniel Lowe had 40 points this week for your offense, and he's averaging 2.4 points so far this year, which is you know barely a startable player. But like last 30 days, he's 3.47. The last seven days, he's 6.67 points per game. Uh, So, yeah, that I mean, I saw that and I was surprised. So I guess that's exactly the pick that I should go with. Yeah, I mean, a trip to Colorado will certainly help with your uh, with your stats there. (laughs) But uh, I think I think one of the games he had like. 11 total bases and six RBI or something. It was nuts. But uh, in any event, my, um, I mean, really, I have to thank him because he's keeping me in this matchup, sort of. Uh, but anyways, my my uh, biggest surprise for a player is someone I already kind of touched on, and that's Felix Batista, the closer for the Baltimore Orioles, who wasn't the closer until the trade deadline sent away uh, the Orioles' other all-star closer. I guess their only all-star closer, Felix Batista, did not make the team, but he has been better than Lopez has. Uh, his whole season numbers are better than Lopez, and he's uh, now that he's in the closer role, um, he's definitely been better for fantasy. He's actually the eighth overall relief pitcher right now, which is crazy to think that this guy was actually on waivers or was a free agent at the time of the trade deadline uh, when Jordan – This is this is how dedicated Jordan's research is – when he heard rumors that the Orioles were thinking about trading away Lopez, he went and picked up Batista and it has worked out very well for him. Um, Batista's had, had uh, 37 and a half points this week. Um, did not allow, I guess the only base runner he allowed was a hit batter. And uh, he picked up two saves and a win and five innings of work, just an outstanding relief pitcher week. And, Really, like I think the thing that we all pray for in the playoffs is for our relievers just not to kill us. And uh, anytime they do something like this, that makes us all very happy people. Uh, so Felix Batista, he's my biggest surprise uh, for the player. Uh, definitely a impact player going forward too. He's been he's been terrific. So let's go to our last one, which is the team that is most likely come back so who do you think that is going to be just to just a quick recap um the teams that are currently behind this me brendan eddie and courtney out of those four 
which one do you think is the most likely to come back? I think I'm going to have to go with your team. I think of, of the teams that like have the players capable of putting up the numbers to come back. I think you and Courtney have those teams, but her, her, um, deficit right now is just too great to overcome. So I'm, I'm going to go with yours. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, Sam can have, has shown that he can have bad weeks. So, um, I think if anyone can do it, it'll be it'll be your squad. Yeah, I had originally picked my team, but I guess I'll stick with it. The, the Tony Gonsolin news from earlier today kind of uh, that was like a knife to my heart. Um, I did not feel real great about that about my chances after uh, I'm now missing a two start Tony Gonsolin week um, when I very much need need that. Uh, I replaced him with a two-start Jose Barrios. So um, I guess I'm going to have to buckle up here because <laughs> nobody, I'm going to ride the uh, Jose Barrios roller coaster for this last week of the, uh, of the first round. Um, I do three pitcher advantage on Sam, and I do also have him in, uh, in hitter volume as well. Um, I don't have, I'm assuming that Nolan Arenado is not going to go on paternity leave again. So uh, I got that going for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't feel great about it now with without Gonsolin. Um, but I, out of all of them, I think that one's probably the one that I would get. I, I know that Courtney has Harper coming back, but she did just lose Wheeler. And uh, the deficit is just really too much at this point. Um, I think the same goes for Eddie. Uh, I guess you could say Brendan's team, but I mean, he'd need a lot to go right. <laughs> I think I know he has Rodon starting twice, but he, he would need, he would need a lot to go right here. Yeah. He, he would be good. He would need the same things that went right in week one to go right again. And those were already a bit of a long shot. And then he would need the things that went wrong to also not go wrong. I, I think it's just, it, it's a tough ask. It, it's doable, but I, I just feel better about your chances. Brendan, I, I think would be my second choice too, just because the, the deficit is so much more manageable than the other ones. But he, yeah, he, he would need everything to go perfectly. Yeah. I think what ultimately swayed me is when I was looking at the lineups and who's who they're running out and, one big change, you know, you tempted fate with Dakota Hudson one time and it worked out for you. So, you know, okay. But you're going to tempt fate again with Dane Dunning against the Houston Astros? I don't know about this one. This might be one step too far. Like, he's rolling the dice one too many times. Uh, I don't know that I could back that. So that's why, I think that's why I didn't change my pick. Yeah, you, you hate to see... Dane Dunning, like in a lineup at all, um, you really hate to see Dane Dunning against a, a good offense. So as I say that, uh, let's expect Dane Dunning to go out and get 20 points, um, I guess, against the Astros. And then he does have the Boston Red Sox on Sunday if that start doesn't get pushed back. Uh, so I we both had my team as the team most likely to come back. Uh, 
just as a recap of our, our main segment. Uh, so the biggest surprise to the teams I had Jordan, uh, Jerwin had Brendan. Biggest disappointment for the teams I had Brendan, um, Jerwin had Courtney. Biggest surprise for the players I had Felix Batista and Jerwin had. Who'd you have again? Uh, Nathaniel Lowe. Nathaniel Lowe, my man. Uh, the biggest disappointments um, for the players. Jerwin had Corbin Burns. I had Josh Hader. Um, so let's go on to our matchup preview. Uh, so give me your thing to watch for in week two. Uh, thing to watch for, I, I talked about this with Brennan's team. It'll be whether or not these rolls of the dice come up big for him. Um, and uh, I, I think I'll, I'll cheat and give a second one, but there has been like a bunch of injuries like leading up to and so far in the playoffs. And um I, I'll be interested to see if those trends continue and people keep dropping because, I mean, it is getting towards the end of the season. Like, guys are going to be getting fatigued. I think pitchers, wow. Pitchers especially, I, I think you might have to watch out for. Yeah, so my thing to watch for, it, I'm just going to call it how low can we go? Um, I already mentioned part of this. Uh, we are starting some guys that we would not even fathom starting in the regular season uh, where we would look at those guys and be like, you're trash. But now that it's playoff time, we can look at a Dane Dunning and be like, hey, you're not so bad. Maybe you uh, or you just need to take the glasses off and soar. But um, yeah, I see Dane Dunning. I, even in just in Brendan's line of loan, uh, Emmanuel Rivera, who I have honestly never heard of before. It's his starting utility. Uh, I guess he's been good his last seven days. He's 16.8 points with 4.2 points per game, but I've never heard of that guy before. Um, and it, I, I see that in other places too. In my own lineup, I know that we have heard of him, but I, I am starting Jose Barrios, who's been just gone awful all year. Uh, I, he has two starts, and like I'm looking at those and being like, okay, you can do this. Just... Try not to suck. But uh, you, you see that across a lot. Of, there's another guy in my lineup, J.P. Sears. He's starting against Washington. He's been okay. I would not want to start him any other time. But, you know, it's like desperate times call for desperate measures. So I'd like to pull it out all the stops and just praying that it works. I think that, we, I think that we've kind of reached that point for a lot of teams. So that's my biggest day. That's my, well, that's my thing to watch for for week two is how low can we go? And I'm wondering if that will carry going forward where we will see guys uh, who we normally would think uh, or shouldn't even be rostered. We're just throwing them in our lineups with a hope and a prayer. Um, so that we're going to move on to our matchup predictions, but we're going to change this up a little bit um, because obviously we predicting the matchup would be kind of stupid since we are already halfway through said matchup. So instead of just predicting the matchups, we're just going to go and say, will they come back? So we'll start with my team. I'm currently down 49.4 points. Jerwin, when we record the next podcast, will I be singing the songs of victory or 
lamenting my defeat. Uh, I know I said you were the most likely to come back, but I don't I don't think it's going to happen. I also picked Sam to make it to the finals and picked your team to lose in the first round. So I can't pick against my my hot takes, which are all 100 percent correct. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with no, Jake. Uh, my apologies. Well, no apology necessary. I don't feel great about my chances either. Before Tony Gonsolin got hurt, I think I would have picked this one. I would have believed. But I am very sad without Tony Gonsolin and his two starts. Um, I'm not saying that would have totally been the difference, but it would have certainly helped. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know that I can pick my team to win when I'm rolling out a couple of the guys that I'm rolling out. All right, so let's move on to the next team that is coming off of a subpar week one. Uh, that's Brandon's team. He is currently down by 29.8 points. Do you foresee a comeback? Uh, again, as I had already foreseen a Nate championship win, uh, I do not see foresee a comeback for my arch rival. And even if I didn't see Nate winning at all, uh, I can't pick Brendan because of the the slander and the heated rivalry. And I, I, I would never pick Brendan for any reason whatsoever. All right. So since I am an elite podcast host, um, I am going to change the segment on the fly. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. And instead of saying, since, uh, since I realize we both picked my team as the most likely team to come back, right? If we're not picking my team to come back, we're obviously not going to pick the other ones to come back. So to make this more interesting, on the comebackometer, scale of one to ten, one is Ooh. no shot. You should just surrender right now. Call the other person and concede. Save everyone's time. Ten being you've got a shot. Arguably, you should win. The comeback is assured. That's our comebackometer. Just we can get a just a sense of the scales. Let's go back. What what number would you give my team down forty nine point four points? This is a great change, and I support it. Um, I'm going to give your team an eight. I would have probably gone a nine if if not for Gonsolin. Wow, that's really high. <laughs> that's all my comeback is assured. I, 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 again, I, I think your team is the most likely to come back. I, I think you have the, the team that can do it, and the deficit is close enough i think yeah i think i'm gonna give mine either i'm gonna give it like a six and a half um it would have been a little higher with console and sure but I, I reason i say that is um at the end of this at the end of this week i don't think that the i don't i don't think that the matchup will be quite as like i don't think the deficit will be 50 points um i think it'll be closer so that's, that's why i think i'm gonna land there now let's go to brendan what number would you give Brendan? He's only he's down a lot less than me. He's only down 30 points. I would give Brendan. I'm gonna go with a I'm gonna go with a six because again, it's a tall order to have enough things go right. Because the thing is, Nate's team is constructed in a way where he he might roll the dice on a player here or there uh 
but Brendan is rolling the dice on far more players than Nate is. And for him to come back 30 points, the amount of hits that he needs are far greater than the amount of hits that that Nate needs. And Nate doesn't need hits. He just needs like regular performances. So, uh, but I, I would, given that I would probably say a five, but Brendan does have first round magic. So a six, a six to account for his legacy. Yeah, I was a little torn on this one because on one hand, and I mean, this is actually, I think, kind of interesting. So I'm talking about the last two weeks, not including this first week, right? The last two weeks, Brendan has actually outscored Nate by over 30 points each week. But on the other hand, like, I just, I can't really look at Brendan's roster the way that some of the guys that he's starting and be like, that's just, it's just a too many dice rolls for me. Um, so I think I'm going to go with a five, but I do think that Brendan's team, like, it's not out of the question that this could go right. Like, Dunning could do okay. Like, he could score 20 points total across the week. Uh, Dakota Hudson could have another good start. But there's just, there's too much of that kind of stuff, whereas I, I do like Nate's team a lot. And he's not really rolling the dice on too many players like that. Uh, and Brendan does not have the have the volume advantage in his favor this time around either. Uh, so I think that plays into it as well. So I think I'd go with a five, but it, it has happened. There is precedent for this. Um, the last two weeks, each week, Brendan has outscored Nate by over thirty points. So it's it's, it's happened. Uh, now we're going to go to another matchup with. Uh, Courtney and Jordan. Courtney is down 104.9. Uh, so a comeback is going to be a very tall order. What is the number on the co- on the comeback ometer? First of all, the 104.9 sounds like a banger radio station. But um, I'm going to give Courtney a three because the deficit is enormous, but... Uh, she still has an offense that that gives her a high enough floor, especially with Harper coming back, that if Jordan has a really down week and Courtney gets enough enough hits on on her pitching staff, it could be done. but I think I, I'm gonna. I, I'm actually gonna drop this down to two because it's a hundred points is a lot to come up with in a week. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you there. I'm also gonna give it two, and I'm gonna paint a picture. The only way this really happens, the only realistic way this happens, right? Like you said, the offense goes off. The offense shows why it's the number one offense in the league. It just goes off. Uh, Judge is outstanding. Harper's outstanding. Just everybody's great. Uh, the pitching does not blow up. It's just like the pitching, it has to be good, but I don't feel good about, I don't feel good about it, but it has to be good. Like Marcus Strobin, Adam Wainwright, they have to not suck. On the other side, we got the risky pitching staff. Uh, so maybe, just maybe, 
after the boom week, they regress. They regress hard. Maybe this is the week where Jordan's guys, he's starting Dean Creamer. Creamer, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Maybe he uh, shows why nobody really wants to start him and why he was on my worst ball team last year. He was a stalwart for my worst ball team last year. Maybe he shows why he was why he was that in that position. Uh, maybe Shane Bieber, the, the bad velocity, comes back and is bad like early season. I don't know. Maybe Robbie Ray forgets how to hit the strike zone again. Uh, we can't forget that it wasn't that long ago that he couldn't have hit the ocean from the beach. Uh, maybe the uh, the relievers that Jordan throws just blow up repeatedly, and he gets. Uh, BS plus L to death. That's the only way this happens. That's a lot of ifs. So that's a lot. Like the I just painted this outlandish picture, and that like you can't. It's not easy to make up hundred points. <laughs> so I think a, a lot has to really go here. Um, I guess it's possible. Like I think Courtney's roster is good enough that it's it's possible, but it is really out there. Uh, so I'm giving her two. Maybe that that's probably generous. But let's go to the final one. Uh, Eddie is down to Nick by 103.6 points. So just, just a tad better than Courtney is. Um, but his prospects are probably even more grim. Um, I guess I'll start. I, I, I'm giving him one. I think he's, I think he's cooked. Uh, Nick's roster is just the arguably the most talented in the league. Um, I think his relievers are good enough so that he is not going to hurt himself. Um, and I don't think I just I frankly don't think Eddie has the firepower to make up 100 points. Like I, it's just it's not there, not close to being there. Um, Eddie sold, so like it's not even a knock on him. It's just it's not there. Like it, I think you should call up and concede, and we can all all those players can can uh, hit the off season a little early. What would you have this for this matchup? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a one. As well, it's the same situation as Courtney, but instead of the number one offense in the league, it's the number eight. And I, I just looked that up just now. So hashtag research. But yeah, it's it's a one for me. All right. So that is our uh, will they come back slash uh, comeback ometer segment. Um, not sure yet for future plans. Uh, if we'll continue recording middle of the week or uh, if we'll switch back to beginning, um, that'd probably be something we should uh, get a feel for. But we'll let you know. Um, you'll you'll find out whenever the podcast gets on or whenever we decide to tell you. So let's go to our around the league portion of the podcast, and I will provide I will now provide the league history fact. Uh, and I just wanted to highlight how good Jordan's week one was. Um, he, just as a recap, if we haven't said it enough, uh, Jordan was outstanding in week one. He scored 343.5 points. Uh, that was by far the most points uh, scored in week one. And he is on pace for, frankly, better than any score last year. Um, and I'm talking total playoff matchup scores. He's, he's on pace to beat the highest score from last year. He's on pace to beat the highest score from 2020, which would be impressive, except that those were all one-week matchups, uh, so not really impressive. His score right now 
would be the highest score since 2019 round two. And that would be my team beating Jordan's team, ironically, 747 to 470.2, which is an absolute whooping uh, for, for just like, if I, if I could pat myself on the back, I look, look back to the glory days when my team was actually like really good. Uh, not now where Corbin Burns scores me negative 13 points in round one, but back in the day, back in my day, I was out here scoring 700 points in a playoff matchup. Uh, so that's your league history fact of the week. Um, now we're going to go on to news and notes, which uh, this one's a little lengthier, but we, I think we've got, I think we got some good content. We got some juicy stuff in here. Uh, starting with the guy that I traded away, like, Miss Justin Verlander, but he exited his start on Sunday with right calf discomfort after pitching three scoreless innings. Jerwin, don't ask me how he got that calf on the field, how he got a calf on the field, but while encouraging that this is not an arm-related injury, this, this, the jokes would be better if there were sound effects, but while encouraging that it is not an arm-related injury, how concerning is this for the, uh, the elderly Justin Verlander uh, that he's exiting a start. Um, I mean, a guy, a guy his age, getting hurt, uh, especially after. I know, again, it's not an arm injury, but not pitching for a full year and then coming back to a completely full workload at his age, it is kind of concerning because you wonder. Maybe did they push him a little too far, even though he's like a, a, a an elite veteran talent, but um, a little bit concerning. But I, I think probably people will probably blow this out of proportion. I, I'm maybe just a tiny bit more concerned than if it was like any other pitcher getting having a calf injury. So I guess I'll follow up to that. The Astros' record right now is 82 and 47. Uh, they lead their division by 11 and a half games, and they have the lead for the number one seed in the AL right now by three games over the Yankees. Uh, would you expect when Verlander does come back, if he comes back, um, I guess it's really more of a win. They didn't seem like they were that uh, torn up about it, but he's getting an MRI today. I don't know. I have not seen the results yet. Would you expect? the Astros to lighten Verlander's workload down the stretch. Maybe not have him pitch so many innings, maybe switch to a six-man rotation for a little bit, maybe skip a start here or there. What, what would your expectations would be for, or what are your expectations for how the Astros will handle Verlander when he returns? Um, I get that they're, they're up big in the division, and I don't know, maybe they care about the one seed a lot, Maybe they don't, but I think given the fact that they didn't care to limit him being as old as he is coming off of Tommy John, I don't know that they're going to be, if they're, if they don't seem super concerned about this injury, I think once he gets back, it, it seems unlikely that they're going to like play, um, play with the kid gloves with, with Verlander down the stretch. I could see it, maybe, but they they've demonstrated otherwise already. So tough sell for me. 
Yeah, I kind of, I tend to agree with you, actually. I Like, if they weren't handling him with kick, with kick gloves before coming off Tommy John surgery, like, I don't really know why they would start doing it now. Um, I mean, they might, his first start back, maybe they don't push him too hard, you know, but I, I can't see this being a situation where they're skipping his starts and, you know, not having him work regular turn uh, down the stretch. I, I guess the main thing I'm trying to say is I don't really think that Sam has anything to be concerned about here. Uh, Ferlander does come back. Um, let's go on to the next one. I did say we were going to talk about him again, and that's Josh Hader, uh, who gave up six earned runs on Sunday over one-third of an inning. Um, his ERA with the Padres is now up to 25.71. And over his last 30 days, he has a whopping negative 27 fantasy points, which that's even worse than Tony Montas. Um, for the first time since he has been drafted all the way back in 2018, Josh Hader is an LEL free agent. Uh, Nate dropped him for Austin Both. We um, kind of alluded to that earlier in the episode, but I think just because of the caliber of drop this was, I have to ask, uh, was this a justifiable drop by Nate? Because again, I don't think we've ever seen a player of, of Hader's caliber this late in the year get, get dropped. I think this one is a tough call, but I, th- I think you could make an argument for it. So I'm going to say, yes, it is justifiable for Nate to have dropped him. I think he has, he has RP depth, even with Nestor Cortez going on the injured list and with it's it's not just that Josh Hader has performed badly like a lot of his underlying metrics have also suffered a lot since um since returning like I in the month of August I looked this up today he's walking 20% of batters which is just absurd like you talk about like Dylan Cease has walking problems and that's 10% so like 20% is just not a major league caliber player at all. And that's what he's been over the last, uh, over the course of this month. Um, I do, I have, I have a theory as to why his, not just the results, but the, the like underlying performance has, has suffered for him. I noticed like he was lights out for a majority of the first half of the season. Um, and, but he went on the paternity list at one point. And after that, he started having these like on again, off again stretches. And then he moves out to San Diego, presumably like farther away from home. I, I think Josh Hader might actually just be a really good dad and doesn't like being away from his kid. So he's, he's, he's distracted on the field. That's an interesting theory. I was guessing that you were going to say it's because the, everything the Padres touch turns to garbage, but I don't, I'm, that makes sense to me. Josh Hader, it, it's all kind of coming together for me. Like, of course he just is such a great dad, but back to the original question for me, I guess I'm going to kind of sit on the fence here. Um, I think it's justifiable, but I would have, I guess I would have tried to exhaust all options 
just to hang on to him in the hopes that he turns it around because he can't, we've seen he can be the impact player. So I went through Nate's roster um, and this would have been a little tougher for Nate to do because his right is a really deep roster, but like I went through every guy that he's currently rostering. Um, I get picking up Voth. Like I get it. He's been good. Um, but I think I would have dropped Tyler Wells. And for those of you who don't know who that is, um, he's a reliever for the uh, Baltimore Orioles. Um, I would have probably, well, I guess he's a, he's a spark, but he's a terrible spark. Um, I would have, I would have dropped him. Uh, I would have exhausted. I know that he's on the IL right now, but you could put uh, Nestor Cortez there. Uh, I probably would have kept, he tried to keep Pater around just on the off chance that he, uh, on the off chance that he puts it together because he has shown that he can be elite and he can be a difference maker. Now, this wouldn't matter for, for right now. This would have been a couple weeks in advance. Like if you see something shiny on waivers that catches your eye, like yeah, Hater can go after that. But I don't know that all options were necessarily exhausted here. Um, with with Wells still being rostered, uh, but for the most part, like in my, I'm in another league where there's no bench. Um, Hater's a drop, and he's not going to be rostered probably the rest of the season. Uh, that's absolutely justified there. I think for the most part, that's justified here too. Um, he's just been so dreadful that you can't start him right now, and it's going to be a while, even if he does start to turn it around where you're going to feel comfortable enough to start him in a playoff matchup. Cause you know, the last thing you want is for Hayer to give up six earned runs over one third of an inning uh, and completely ruin your entire fantasy season. So uh, I get that. I get it from Nate. Um, I'm not, I don't think this was a bad move, uh, but I probably wouldn't me personally. I probably would have tried to hold him just a little bit longer um, if I could. But let's go to the next one. The next question here on uh, this. I think this is a very interesting thing because honestly, Hare will be one of the most polarizing players come draft season in 2023, especially if his struggles continue. Um, I think he's going to be one of the guys that we look at and he's going to be ranked drastically different depending on which expert you pick or who you, who you want to listen to. Uh so I ask you, Jerwin, uh, 2023 redraft, where would you take Josh Hader? Or would you even trade? Why would you take Josh Hader? This is, this is such a difficult question because he's, I'm just going to say like exactly what everyone will say is he's just been so good for so long, but like he's, if he's toast, he would not be the first really good reliever to just become toast all of a sudden. I think most guys do it like over the off season and they get drafted too high and then they're bad for a full season. Uh, haters done it like mid season, which I don't, I don't know that I've seen before, but I mean, it is entirely possible that he's just lost it. Relievers are really finicky that way in, in my experience. Um, but given his track record and 
if he continues to struggle, I'm thinking like probably gonna wait it out until like most of my roster is full in a draft. But if he shows like signs of life, then maybe I'd take him around. Oddly enough, where um, I'm blanking on his name, the Williams, um, his his replacement in in Milwaukee, probably around where he went this year, just because like he has shown that elite elite skill, and he does like. Presumably, if he if he returns to some form, he would he would be the Padres closer again. But yeah, it's I, I think more or less impossible to tell right now. But like, if the draft were held, if the draft were held today, I don't think I would take him. I, I would probably try to put my bet on more of a sure thing. Yeah, this is definitely an interesting question. Just so so I can. Let everybody know. Devin Williams was drafted in the 14th round this year. So you wouldn't you wouldn't take him until at least the 14th? I might I might take him a little bit earlier than that just because of just because of his track record. But I mean I I wouldn't blame someone for waiting until the 14th to take him. So yeah, this is such a tough question. That's why I wanted to. I wanted to do this one, <laughs> but uh, it, it's like you said, like the, it's not just, he's like getting unlucky. It's just, like, he's been legitimately awful and it like relievers can, can be really finicky and they can just lose it sometimes. Um, and it's especially concerning that he's lost the closer job. I, I, I don't think that'll be a problem as much for next year. Um, he'll enter he'll probably enter 2023 as the Padres closer. Uh, but man, like this is like a Cody Bellinger esque fall from grace here with how quickly he's collapsed. I just, man, it's such a tough question. Yeah. And, and again, the, like the strangest thing is that it happened in the middle of the season, like Cody Bellinger, like he was great and then came back and started the year bad again and has continued to be that way. Um, I'd be interested to see like, who was the last closer who was like, who, who had the talent and pedigree of someone like Hater to just fall off as hard as Hater has, whether it was mid season or like over an off season to just start out a year and completely collapse like like relief pitchers collapse all the time but it's usually like the lower end guys who were kind of shaky anyways and you you just pick them up because they had the closer job but hater was a sure thing and is not even close to he's he's on the waiver wire and i understand why and that's just crazy so i know we're going long on hater but you mentioned uh, if I had another player who could be comparable to your situation. And since I am an elite podcast host, I do. We're going to remember, we're going to go all the way back to 2018. Um, and I'm thinking this is the name that immediately came to mind when you said that. Blake Trinan. Um, mm. 
And he was the number two overall closer in 2018 with 459 points. He was averaging 6.8 points per game for the Oakland Athletics. Um, He was regarded as a top two slam dunk closer the next year. Obviously, that did not pan out. Um, In 2019, he scored 144 points, and he averaged two and a half points per game. So he was very bad the following year. His ERA went from 0.78, which is outstanding, to 4.91, which is just crazy. That would be... That would be my worry. It's like, like it, it's not unprecedented for an elite closer to, and I'm sure that Trinan's not the only, only example, but it's not unprecedented for a closer to a formerly elite closer to just completely lose it. Yeah. Trinan did not have the track records that Hader has. It's still a little scary that we have, like, as soon as you said that, like, like Trinan's the guy. Like, why? It's a little concerning that I could think of an example that quickly for a while. It's going to continue. Uh, now that you mentioned it, I, th- I thought of another one. Uh, I don't remember how far he fell off exactly, but like Zach Britton had that year where he did not give up an earned run until like August. And then he was at least mediocre the next season. Like the, he, they were talking about giving him the Cy Young. That's how good he was as a reliever. Yeah, so I can tell you, I just pulled that up real quick. Um, I think that one actually had a little more to do with injuries than, I mean, he wasn't nearly as good, but uh, I want to say he was hurt as well. I mean, his ERA was only, That's fair. his ERA was, was 0.54 the year before. Um, his ERA the next year was 2.89, but uh, he was much more hittable. Um, his, his whip went from 0.83 to 1.5. Uh, his points per game went down from 6.5 to 3.4. I guess point being, there are a lot of examples of this. And yeah, yeah it, makes the, it makes the situation a little scary. But we'll move on because we're dwelling on Josh Hader and relief pitchers for a very long time. Uh, let's talk about something a little more exciting. The Arizona Diamondbacks are calling up top prospect Corbin Carroll. Nate scooped him up off waivers yesterday. Uh, through, so he's not available. Um, through 33 games at Triple A, he hit 287, 408, uh, 535 with a WRC plus of 135. Uh, Carroll is universally regarded as a top three prospect in baseball. Um, there's a couple outlets that have him as the top prospect. Uh, my question is very simple Do you think that Carroll will be an impact player for Nate down the stretch? Could you quickly go over what WRC plus is? Because I legitimately don't know that stat. <laughs> Yeah, so that's um, that's a metric just to show how, I guess, like you can think of a WRC plus as 100. Um, that's kind of the baseline. That's average. So the further above or below that you are, um, that's how, I guess, the percentage better you are or percentage worse you are than league average. So a WRC plus of 135 means that Carroll's slash line was 35% better than league average. Okay, nice. I appreciate that. Uh, as for whether he'll be an impact player, I don't know. And I don't think anyone knows because top prospects come up all the time and they can they can go off or they could, uh, you know, struggle at first. Um, 
I mean, Adley Rutschman, we've talked about being really good, but he, he was not good over like the first month, I think. And that's about how long we have left of this season. So um, and I, I think another like Riley Green, I think, at least according to MLB.com, which is the, the site I use for tracking prospects, he was top three prospect when he came up and he was tearing it up in triple a two and he's not been as good i don't, I don't know all of carol's like underlying numbers like is he a big strikeout guy does he walk a lot or anything like that to to say for sure but i don't know i think uh it's certainly possible but i i don't think i would bet on carol for sure being a impact player yeah so carol i know that the um some comps have had him to they've compared him to Trey Turner. Um, he's kind of on the smaller side. He's like five ten. He he doesn't weigh that much either. Like so he's kind of a smaller dude. Um, I think some of the power numbers might be a little inflated too, because I believe he plays in the PCL, which is the minor leagues. So that's one of the minor leagues that is just an absolute launching pad. Um, they have many horse field-esque stadiums. So um I think that might be the power numbers might be a little inflated, but I mean, he's no joke. He's, he's a good prospect. Um, and just as a reminder, uh, just how good Trey Turner was when he came up and Trey Turner didn't do this with a whole lot of power either. Um, he, when, when he came up for the, the nationals in 2016, um, he was averaging four points a game uh, in his rookie year, which is, I, I'm not saying Carroll can do that, but the, the skill set is, it's a good skill set. Um, it's similar to Turner. Um, and I, I don't think like he's more of a speed guy, but I don't, I don't think that's completely out of the realm of possibility. It's also supposed to be a very good defender as well, I believe. So um, not that that matters for us, but it's that he, he, he's a, he's no joke. He's a good prospect. Um, and there, I think he's worthy of a shot of the shot that Nate took on him because we're for sure right now. We're at the point now where there's, not many guys on waivers. Like there's no guys on waivers where uh, you're going to get a potential impact player like that. So well worth the shot that Nate took on him. Uh, we're going to go on to uh, a couple other injury notes. Uh, Zach Wheeler went on the IL with forearm tendonitis. Ryan Presley hit the IL with a neck issue. Nestor Cortez uh, on the IL now with a groin injury. And Jordan Alvarez is day-to-day with soreness in his hand. Um, I believe that he battled this injury previously. And sadly, I have to add one of the lists, Tony Gonsolin, uh, I believe it's forearm tendonitis is what they're calling it, or maybe a forearm strain. I don't know. But all I do know is it makes me sad that he's not pitching for me this week. Uh, I'm going to have you rank these injuries in terms of impact that they'll have on the fantasy playoffs. I think I'm going to go 1A and 1B, Nestor Cortez and uh, Tony Gonsolin. Um. That's a really, uh, I could see either going either way. Next, I would probably say Jordan Alvarez, I think I'm going to go because, like, if Brendan is going to make the comeback, he needs that short fire guy and Alvarez, he has to play this week. So if he's missing him, the whole week or even just part of the week that that really hurts hurts Brendan a lot um and then I think probably we'll say Ryan Presley followed by Zach Wheeler I think 
as an impact player, I think Zach Wheeler is more, but Courtney's already down by a hundred points. I don't think he would have that big of an impact. I think Jordan is going to be around for in the playoffs for longer. So I'll rank, I'll give Ryan Presley. If he's out for longer term, he will have a larger impact over the course of the whole fantasy playoffs. Should Jordan go deep. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, we're going to talk about somebody who's just returning from injury. That's Bryce Harper. We're going to finish up with him. Uh, he returned on Friday for the first time since June 25th. He is currently hitting 317, 384, 593 with a 974 OPS. He has 3.7 points per game on the year. Um, it's definitely too late for Harper to really have a significant impact on Courtney's fantasy season. But uh, looking ahead to next year, and we're running out of time, so I'm going to just go real quick. Is Harper still a first-round player for you? I think so. He's been doing this all year with a, a, a torn UCL or partially torn UCL, hasn't he? So, like, I mean, an injury regardless. So, like, he, he's got to be up there still, I think. Yeah, I agree with you there. He's still a first-round player for me, I think, heading the next season. Um, and I wish we had more time to debate this one because I was finishing up with a re- really spicy question here. But heckin' Zoom, not premium cutting us off uh who would you draft first in a redraft it's would you draft for would you draft bryce harper or mike trout first next year in a redraft i think i would have to go with bryce harper with the this the concern around mike trout having like a a chronic problem that like we we kind of suspected like oh he's kind of injury prone but now he has like a condition that just is gonna crop up sometimes so i don't know i i I think the injury risk there is high enough to justify taking harper first you know what i think i agree with you um mike trout has been as bulletproof as they come but when we're talking about uh players that are going to be drafted this early i think it's fair to nitpick his strikeout rate his walk to strikeout rate is vastly different than what it has been in the past, and it is trending the wrong way. Whereas uh, Harper's really is not. Um, so if there's one flaw to find in Trout's game, particularly for our format, it's it's that. And uh, I think they're similar enough otherwise. Where I'm, I think I'm going to give the nod to Harper. Um, I think I would draft him for Trout, especially since, like, the power has still been there. And like you said, he's been playing with tournament UCL all season. And the power has still been there. Like, he still looked great. He's averaging 3.7 points per game, which, by the way, I believe Trout's only a three. So he's been better with the injury. Um, then you got Trout's back. I'm not disparaging Trout. I, I think he's still a first-round caliber bat. Um, maybe just not the top, the first first-round bat that's going to come off the board. Uh, so that's all that I have. Um, uh, Jerwin, anything quickly to share with everybody? Any final thoughts? Um, not really. The weather outside right now here in good old Ohio is getting getting scary. So I think I'm going to turn off my uh, computer soon. Wish me luck. Good luck. Hopefully Jerwin returns next week, uh, depending on the weather. So That's all for us. Um, We will talk to you next week. Goodbye.